Hi, do you like art, food and love? Here's an inspiring story combining all of those things. The Bear and the Ballerina I've always wanted to be an artist. Ever since at three years old, I grabbed the tablecloth by its corner, pulled down the lunch my mom had just finished preparing, and began to arrange its colorful contents on the floor in the most artful manner. By four, I could convincingly paint a chicken, a bunny and a cat, as well as several hybrids between a horse, a dog and my father. At five, I won my first children's painting competition. By the time my chickens, bunnies and cats learned to wear hats, glasses and scarves, while the purple-green centaur managed to separate into an aristocratic horse with a pince-nez named Percival and my dad with a pipe and morning paper. By the age of 10, having won about 20 different size competitions, I became a sort of micro-celebrity in my town with a couple of 7-year-old groupies who were close to fainting every time I walked past them in the school hall. After high school, I was accepted to the prestigious College of Art. Parties and girls somewhat weakened my passion for painting, but even that didn't stop me from graduating at the top of my class. At first, my professional career looked very promising. Several of my paintings were showcased at respectable exhibitions, a couple decorated the walls of high-end hotels and restaurants, and one piece had even made it to a lifestyle magazine, where it hung behind the movie star posing in the living room of his new house. But in the following years, my situation only deteriorated. Instead of riding the waves of unbridled imagination next to my muse on Pegasus' back and creating true art, I had to agree to portrait and landscape painting jobs and sometimes even do pub signboards to pay the bills. But I did not despair. During the day, ignoring my notion of beauty, I would paint whatever was asked of me by the people with zero understanding of art and at night I would create what I believed to be masterpieces. But the longer I went on, the more rejections I received from galleries and art dealers. And then I was 35, my tiny studio filled with what I considered genius paintings that no one wanted, and my dream to become an internationally acclaimed artist even further from me than 10 years before. The worst part was that all those years filled with inner turmoil and endless depressions pushed away all my friends, family and occasional romantic partners. It was truly incredible that none of my many relationships lived longer than six months. How can you not love a paint-stained loser of an artist up to his ears in debt and self-pity? Doesn't anyone think that such remarks as Why is no one buying my paintings? They are brilliant! Or The world is so unfair! All those paintings that are sold for seven figures are children doodles compared to my last masterpiece make for top-notch foreplay? And so I was 35, lonely, almost broke, and utterly disappointed in myself and the world. Like any other reasonable human being in my shoes, I arrived at the only possible solution to all my problems. I was going to kill myself. It wasn't an emotional spur-of-the-moment decision. On the contrary, I chose the date for my death, prepared the rope, found a suitable place where I could hang myself, and even planned out my last day. I would wake up at 6 a.m., watch the sunrise from the porch of my shed-looking house whose ground floor was occupied by my studio, have a snack, watch my favorite Forrest Gump for the hundredth time, and then finally hang myself. Then the day came. And just like everything else in my life, it didn't go anything like I had planned. I went out to my porch with a simple breakfast, sat down and prepared to watch a majestic sunrise, but instead of the sun slowly climbing up from behind a nearby hill, I came face to face with an enormous dusty truck. 
That view was not at all uncommon, since the only reason I could afford that house was that it stood right next to a highway, where no sane person would ever live. Still, I was seriously disappointed. On the bright side, it was going to be the last disappointment of my life. I was about to dig into my breakfast when a muscular and disheveled truck driver appeared from around the corner of my house. His type often treated the walls of my home as a free urinal, so that didn't surprise me in any way. Hey man, spoke the burly man unexpectedly, I'll give you a pound for that sandwich, I'm starving. With my eyes still on my breakfast, I replied, this is not a sandwich. What is it then? Looks like a sandwich to me. It's a butterbrot. What's the difference? A sandwich consists of two slices of bread with a filling between them, and a butterbrot is a single piece of bread with a filling on top. Never heard about that. It's a Russian thing. You're Russian? No, but my grandma was. Okay, I'll give you a pound for your Russian sandwich. I carefully examined my butterbrot and, upon deciding that I didn't really need breakfast before committing suicide, offered it to the truck driver. The man reached into his pocket in search of money, but I waved it off. What does a dead man care for an extra pound? Thanks, buddy, you're a lifesaver. The big man bit off a full half of the booty broth, swallowed it without chewing, chuckled and added. Awesome Russian sandwich, you should be a chef. The disheveled driver waved goodbye, hopped into the cab of his truck and drove away, his engine roaring horribly. The rays of the rising sun, no longer blocked by the truck, fell on my face and trickled my nose, making me sneeze. The reddish disk of the sun, slowly rolling up above the horizon, looked warm and snug. I wanted to hug it, press my cheek against it, muffle myself up in it. I used to feel the same way about my grandma, or babushka, as I called her in Russian. Babushka and the names of the dishes she cooked were the only Russian words I remembered. The sun had changed its hue from red to yellow and now looked more like a blin. Not our pancake, but large and thin grandma's blin, the way they are done in Russia. I assume it's the way they are done in Russia, I'd never been there and never tried Russian cuisine anywhere else but grandma's home. All those memories of grandma's cooking made me hungry. The hunger reminded me of the burly man whom I gave my butterbrot and that in turn called to mind his last words, you should be a chef. That was obviously a taunt, but why not? I had always wanted to become a painter, and I had always believed that it was the only thing I knew how to do and wanted to pursue for the rest of my life. But what did I get out of it? Ten years of depression and a desire to kill myself at 35? Since I had nothing to lose, there was no reason not to try something that even the day before would have seemed to me to be pure madness. Even if I were to turn out the worst cook in history, it wouldn't matter because at any moment I could go back to my original plan and kill myself. And I did know how to cook. Grandma taught me not only how to make butterbrots, but also how to cook other Russian dishes. Surely I could turn my studio into a hole in the wall. I already had a kitchen and the wasteland behind the house could work as a parking lot. There were plenty of hungry people driving by who were not likely to complain about my cooking. Besides, for hundreds of miles in every direction it was impossible to find anything but fish and chips, which meant that there might actually be a demand for exotic Russian cuisine. My paintings would make for a great interior design statement. Who knows, maybe one day some art dealer would drop by for a butterbrot, notice my works and… No, no more thinking about painting, from then on my only passion is cooking.
On the same day, I began transforming my workshop into a diner by frantically getting rid of all my art supplies and keeping only those paintings that could be used to hide the cracks and crumbling plaster on the walls. Another couple of days were spent hunting for the cheapest possible tables, chairs and other accessories. As they were decrepit and mismatched, I painted all over them with traditional Russian ornaments which I had found online. I did the same thing to my workshop, inside and outside. If I hadn't, it would have looked more like a cattle barn than a place for eating. What took me the longest was coming up with a name and compiling the menu. In the end, I just combined the two most popular stereotypes about Russia and named my bistro the bear and the ballerina. The signboard turned out awesome. My menu consisted of only four items. Butterbrots with ham or cheese and the secret grandma's ingredient, garlic wrapped into the bread crust. Blini, plain or stuffed ivy with mashed potatoes or a mix of finely chopped boiled eggs and green onions. Palmeni. Russian dumplings stuffed with meat and served with sour cream. Borsh – legendary Ukrainian beetroot soup. Just a week after my failed suicide attempt, the bear and the ballerina was ready for its grand opening. On the first day, my diner was visited by a whopping one person. And he didn't even get a food poisoning, he ordered borsh and two butterbrots. Showing no surprise and asking no questions, he ate everything, paid up and left. It could have been the worst lunch of his life, it could have been the best. It was impossible to tell by his face what he thought of the food. The business went on not exactly great, but not bad either. Usually, I had three to five visitors a day. Once, a full twelve people walked into the bear and the ballerina. None of those ever praised my cooking, but neither did anyone complain about it. I even got tips a couple of times. Everything changed on a Thursday, November 21st. It was a cold, misty morning. The bear and the ballerina was empty, so I was wiping glasses behind the bar, imagining myself a first-class barman from a 1920s American speakeasy. Suddenly, the door swung open, and she appeared out of the fog as if by magic. A bona fide African goddess. Well, that's not the end of the story. If you liked it and you want to know how it ends, you'll find its full version as well as 10 other equally interesting tales on Amazon in the book called Stories I Wrote While Being Suicidal. And yes, we know that this is a dick move and we are terribly sorry, but unfortunately Amazon's KDP Select program forbids us to place the full version of the story on other platforms. You'll find the link to the book in the podcast description.